Hello, everyone. This is Lauren Clifford Newton, Senior Vice President at J Public Relations. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Priority Status. I'm here today with Bashar Wally, President of Provenance Hotels. Hi, Bashar. Hello there. I'm happy to have you here today. I've loved the Provenance brands for a long time. But before we jump into talking about Provenance Hotels, one of my secret favorite things about you is our Braintree, Massachusetts connection, which is one of the most obscure connections in the industry when everyone knows everyone from everywhere. But Braintree, which is where I was born and raised and second generation Braintree, um, is also where you worked once years and years ago at the Sheridan Tara. Indeed. Uh, it was my second job in the hotel industry, working for a small company in New England, uh, the Flatley Company. And it was a castle-shaped Sheraton Hotel. I'm embarrassed to say for an independent hotel guy, but I cut my teeth and learned a lot there, so enjoyed my time. I know, and it no longer exists. So uh, rest in peace, Sheraton Tara. Um, but people aren't here to talk about Braintree or listen to us talk about Braintree. <laughs> At least I don't think so. Um, I'd love for you to give us your 30 seconds on you and how and why Provenance was born. So I am a true hotel geek through and through. I went uh, to school for it and literally it is the only thing I've done for the last 25 years. And I consider myself fortunate to have worked from the ground up, literally having done essentially every job one could possibly do in the hotel industry, from kitchen to washing dishes to carrying bags to night audit and everything in between, which I feel gives me authority to tell someone they're not doing something right because I've actually done it myself, not studied about it in some book. Provenance Hotels was really born out of the need early on to sort of break the mold and get out of the brand mold, particularly in a town like we started this company in, in Portland, Oregon, which is very anti-establishment, anti-brand, flies its own flag, if you will. We felt that the market was ripe and ready to get something different and new, focused on the arts, authentic, uh, of the market that it's in, of the place that it's in. Excellent. So we're going to talk a little bit today about sort of how hotels can um, really become part of the destination. But I want to start a little bit more um, with you. I think our listeners tell us that they like to hear more about the behind the scenes stuff. And uh, so as someone who's a self-proclaimed hotel fanatic and who in one year flew 212,000 miles in 12 months and stayed at 167 different hotels, never staying more than just one night, um, I obviously have a lot of questions, um, not the least of which is, what did you do on the other 200 or so nights? <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, home uh, with the family, I call it divorce prevention time. I've got, I've got to <laughs> pay my dues. <laughs> Safe plan. Um, so that number was for 2017, I believe, right? I believe that was it, yes. So where are you at with your mileage, mileage this year and how many hotels? Uh, you know, I haven't kept track this year, but I'm probably on, on par with what I've done before. My travel is just sort of neurotic. It comes and goes in spurts. Um, probably on track of the same. The problem with hotels is I am literally now running out of hotels, including New York City, Indeed, literally running out of hotels, thinking about the boroughs now, because I only stay in one hotel one night ever, period. The boroughs are so hot right now. Totally. <laughs> That's a lot of trips to New York if you're running out of hotels. I, indeed, my favorite city in the world. So what hotel caught you by surprise with how much you loved it? Wow, really interesting question. Um, ultimately, I tell people all the time, the only thing I ever remember about any hotel I stay in is when someone gets out of their way and really, really, truly gives a damn. Someone who asks me how I'm doing, but really means it and wants to know. 
So it's really hard to tell because there's a lot of beautiful hotels out there, but ultimately it's about the people and it's just hard to put a, to, to put a, a specific example uh, to it, uh, except to say that when I have issues, and there's often issues as you know, uh, I feel that the people who genuinely care the most are the ones I remember the most. And, and I, I will go back. Those are the places I will break the rules for. So here in the city, I love the Crosby Hotel. And I've never had a question, an issue, a problem that I didn't feel someone truly recognized, appreciated, and went out of their way to try to help me. Even if they couldn't, I felt that their genuine intent to want to help me was good enough. Have you stayed at any of the other Firmdale properties? I've stayed at the Whitby here in the city. I've stayed at Hamyard in London and a couple other of their places in London. My favorite company probably in our industry. I love Firmdale. They do it right. Nobody does it better. And those bathrooms, incredible. I love the Crosby. It's one of the first properties in New York City that I fell in love with when we moved here eight years ago. So I know that in order to hit that 167 hotel, different hotel mark last year, you were doing um, one, you were committed to doing one stay, one night stays at each of the properties. Are you still doing that? I am to my detriment and uh, uh, my health, unfortunately. So the, the strategy there is no brands, essentially, with the exception of a brand new brand launch launches and I want to check it out. I might. So like I've stayed at the Moxie here in the city. Once, but generally speaking, no brand, no economy scale, because I'm not prepared to take any chances that way. But outside of that, it's a big, broad range, all independence. And uh, yeah, I'm still committed to it. Again, in some markets, LA, uh, Boston, uh, New York, I'm essentially running out. And my bandwidth is pretty broad from hostel to five star. It doesn't matter. It's not a quality. It really is the offering because I'm a perpetual student. I learn a lot of things to do, but I also learned a lot of what not to do through this experience. So it's been great for me. I think that if you're running out of properties in Boston, LA, and New York, the only solution is to open some provenance properties there. I know you have one in Boston coming up in uh, just a couple weeks now. Uh, it's hopefully opening early December, so we're very excited about it. Boston is my old stomping ground, so I'm excited to go back there and uh, really celebrate that market and gives them something unique and uh, a different kind of offering that is really the culmination of my experiences and travels along with my team who brings a lot to the table, obviously. You mentioned that the Crosby is a property where you'll break your one night stay only rule. Are there any other properties that aren't in the Firmdale family that you would break it for? Uh, in New York City, the mark on the Upper East Side, because they single-handedly have the highest water pressure in a hotel shower that I've ever seen in my life. It's literally like a chemical peel on your head. And I, that, is, that is my single most important amenity in a hotel is water pressure. And they win every time. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about provenance. So at the root of the provenance manifesto is a reminder that hotels are just a building, and which is what you spoke about at your TEDx talk last year as well. Basically, that means it's the people involved that make a hotel magical. Tell me more about that. Look, anyone with a big bank account can go create the most incredible hotel ever. And I have a great analogy that I like to use when people ask me what business I'm in. I often say I'm in the theater business. And the analogy I use is I can go to Times Square, buy the best piece of dirt in Times Square, build the most incredible theater that costs $2 billion, made of marble and gold and dripping with, with platinum, have a mediocre story and mediocre actors, and nobody will care. People don't go to the theater to look at the theater itself. They go to enjoy the show. Uh, I can go 10 blocks off Times Square, find a good enough building, good enough meaning safe, warm when it needs to be warm, cool when it needs to be cool, create an incredible story, 
hire, train, and retain amazing actors and actresses. Build a set that is complementary to the story, whether it's made out of gold and platinum or made out of crates and found objects. And ultimately, people will flock and the New York Times will be there and everybody will be there. So that is really the essence of our business. We are about the people because we are selling you an experience. Sure, it has to be aesthetically pleasing. But ultimately, when you go home, with the exception of a couple of towels that you might steal, the only thing you bring in with you is that experience. And people make the experience, not the building, not the marble, not the chair, not the couch. So what you're telling us is you've been stealing towels from all these hotel stays? Uh, trust me, I'm not stealing any <laughs> towels, but people love to steal towels and have at it. Of course, I'm just teasing. Um, so when it comes to bringing life to a destination within the hotel, um, this is something that so many brands, especially boutique ones, claim to be able to do. I think it's almost something that's hackneyed today. Um, what does it mean to you and how do you do it more authentically? So authentic is probably the most overused, meaningless word. That in the word boutique? Uh, well, and disruptive and curated and handcrafted and atelier and all those words that we've, we've become sort of slave to the words, but we really don't, don't act on them. So anyone can, again, with a checkbook, send a surrogate down and go to lots of people in the market and say, we want to partner with you, come do cool things at our hotel. Ultimately, it really is about spending the time. Back to the human element of this entire operation is we, we truly go to a market and spend, I mean, a meaningful amount of time. A lot of us on, on my team that go and get to know the people who are proud of the destination, who are truly doing amazing things at that destination, whether it's the old lady who's making candles in her garage that has such love for that city and such feel for what that city is all about, or any of the creators, doers, makers that are in those markets, we spend the time to get to know them, to be their friends, to truly make them become brand ambassadors for what we're doing, because ultimately that is what is authentic. Me going to the cool cat in town and saying, here, I'm going to give you $20,000, go make a collaborative t-shirt for us. That seems to be the farthest thing from authentic I could think of. So it really is about taking time. And by definition, the brands can't take that time because it takes too much time and they're trying to grow, 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 grow. And for us, this handcrafted, I'm going to use some of those overused words for a minute, bear with me, handcrafted authentic experiences take authenticity and authenticity is about spending the time and really creating those friendships first and foremost. We did a hotel in New Orleans. I literally have as many friends in New Orleans now as I do in the city I live in because that's how we make those friends and that's how we do those hotels. Be curious to know how you maintain some of your, if we can use the word brand standards, it sounds very corpo to say that. But when you have properties in Stillwater in Minnesota and in New Orleans and in Portland and in Boston, those destinations are so different. And as you say, you spend a lot of time getting to know the local landscape. How does it, how do you maintain that level of service that you've said is so important to you? We are a very decentralized company. Everything we do begins and ends with hiring the right people and spending time with those people you hire. You can't just hire them, throw them a name tag and say, good luck, we're counting on you. We really spend a lot of time with our people. So our orientation, for the lack of a better term, process is pretty extensive. We, we, we have them spend a lot of time with us. We spend a lot of time with them to make sure that they become, they're, they're, they're being adopted into the family, if you will. So they become the brand ambassadors and they become the torch carriers. It's not about me having to be there or someone on my team from a central office have to be there because that's the kiss of death. We can only be in so many places at one time. It's unrealistic for growth. Ultimately, it's about finding 
the right people and getting them truly believing and ingrained in the mission of the company, which is, again, pretty simple at the end of the day. It's about being kind to each other and, you know, making sure that we are, you know, people first and the hotel second. We don't drink our own Kool-Aid about how cool we are or the cool art or, 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 or. We're all in this together and we're trying to do one thing and one thing only and that's be there for each other. So we have Braintree in common. We have our passion for hotels in common, but we actually also have, I'm sure a lot of other things, but our hotel pet peeve is um, something that's shared, which is getting a note in your room that is not personalized. It's one of the things that drives me crazy when I'm traveling for work or even personal. And I'm like, I've been here dozens of times and you've just signed a name on this, like I am Joe Smo off the street. Um, what I'm wondering is, you know, in your TED talk, you mentioned the blackish moment, which I love. Tell us about that first and then I have a follow-up for you. So um, service has become a checklist in our industry. Sort of the old ladies and gentlemen relate serving ladies and gentlemen. We insist on asking our people to use the guest's name three times. Well, why? Who decided that that was a criteria for good service? Ultimately, what I love to focus on is emotional intelligence. Read your customer. Give them what they want. If they want to be talked to, talk to them. If they don't want to be talked to, don't talk to them, which is the hardest thing we do, obviously, in an industry that has a revolving door, sort of turnover, it's transitional jobs. So the note in the room is just a simple example of the fact that we all follow the same checklist. I mean, you travel as much as I do, you start seeing this. It's almost like came out of a catalog and it says the same exact thing. And you think about the time it takes to find one personalized thing about someone and tell them about it and acknowledge it. Like in your case, if you're a repeat guest somewhere at a hotel, they should know your likes, your dislikes. And this is beyond uh, what, what color M&M you like or any of those sort of uh, tchotchkes that they might give you. It really is about finding something to surprise you and it's easy to do. So it's amazing how many people don't do it, but really the, the fundamental issue at heart here is that we've made service a checklist and service is the furthest thing from a checklist because we're all humans and have different ways of interpreting what is good service and what is not. And you see it now in dining, like who has, who's time to go spend four hours at a restaurant and have 72 courses anymore? It's sort of the approachability of service is what matters more. But again, emotional intelligence is the most important thing. I like what you're saying about that. And emotional intelligence is something that you really can't put a checklist to. It's also something that you can teach, but more often than not, people have it or they don't. So really what you're saying is this comes back to your point of it's all about the right people. And that's how you can have a blackish moment. 100%. And in fact, you know, we do mystery shops in hotels. So we used to, we, we still do and used to do these uh, very transactional shops. So the mystery shopper will come in and they have a checklist of 100 things. Did you use the guest's name? Did you offer a luggage service? Did you, did you, did you, did you? And those are all important because we want to make sure we're hitting those service points that we care about. But we now also, in addition to those, we intermix them with emotional-based shops. So we send someone in and we say, doesn't matter if they use your name or offered luggage service or, 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 how did they make you feel checking in? When you had a problem, and clearly mystery shoppers invent problems, did they genuinely care? They may have solved it, they may have not, but did they care? And it's fascinating when you triangulate those two together, the sort of transactional shop and the emotional-based shop, how much you learn, because you could be hitting it on all fronts on the transactional and coming across cold, uncaring, disengaged. What does it matter then? Ultimately, we, ultimately it's about how you... We are in the feelings business. I want to make sure that I hit it right 
when, when I make you feel the way you want to feel when you walk into a hotel, walk out of a hotel, interact with someone, what is that feeling that I'm leaving you with? Not what checklist I followed. I've referenced the blackish moment, and just for those of you who have not yet looked at you two for Bashar's TEDx uh, talk, the um, spoiler alert for the blackish moment is someone took five seconds of their time and went on Facebook and saw that you like blackish and in your welcome note mentioned, P.S., it's on this channel at this time and blew your mind. And I will be back there again and again and again because that's the only thing I remember. Ask me what color the carpet was or what kind of stone was in the bathroom. Who cares? Somebody went out of their way and gave a damn. Well, and that leads into my next question. If the service is there, then how does that translate into does it matter what's on the walls or what the linens are with thread count and whatnot? And how are, is provenance bringing that authentic local flavor in that service? Because it isn't in a checklist and it is emotional intelligence. How are you incorporating that into the service moments, if you will? I mean, look, hot- hotels, at least independent hotels by definition, and that's, by the way, the term we like to use, boutique, lifestyle, again, overused. I don't know what they mean anymore. Independent is independent. One of a kind. There's no other. Um, at the end of the day, we, we, I love the words intentional and thoughtful. We don't put a piece of art on the wall just to put a piece of art, of art on the wall. We want it to be intentional. We want it to be there for a reason, for the greater reason to create a sense of place, a story. Back to the theater analogy, when you do a set for a theater for a particular play, you don't throw pretty things together because they look pretty. You want them to be accretive to your ability to convey the story in the best possible light. So... It's amazing how many people do things just because. So rich guy builds a hotel, has a Picasso at home, throws it on the wall, has zero context. It's going to lose its effectiveness. Sure, it's a Picasso. Fantastic. I'll enjoy it. But if it doesn't have context, it's meaningless. So being very, very intentional and thoughtful in everything you do becomes really important. I can put a $5,000 faucet in that bathroom made out of gold. But if you can't use it because you can't get your hands on it because it's too close to the back of the sink and you keep hitting your hands on the back of the sink, I've failed miserably. Who cares how beautiful or how expensive or how rare that faucet is? It has to be functional. Now there is prison grade functional. It has to be aesthetically pleasing. And again, by definition, hotels should be aspirational. It's funny. We always want to make hotels be like home. I think that's a terrible idea. People go to hotels to be inspired. It should always aim to be better than what you have at home aspirational to make you come back with ideas to bring home, not be like home. It should feel like home, be comfortable and approachable, but it should have an aspirational element to it. You talk about intentional art. And I can think of some beautiful examples within your portfolio where there is intentional art. Can you tell us a little bit about some of your favorite moments within the Provenance properties? Perfect example really is in our New Orleans property. Uh, we found a great organization locally that helps challenge students. It's kind of like a high school for the arts called NOCA. And they bring these amazing students that have artistic inclinations across the spectrum of art, whether it's painting, sculpture, culinary. And they bring them in and they sort of shepherd them through the high school. And they've had graduates in there like Wynton Marsalis and Harry Connick Jr. It's pretty amazing. So we went to them, we said, we love you, we love what you do, we love your cause, we want to partner with you, all for you, for your benefit. We want nothing out of it except this friendship and partnership. So we now have art in the hotel from those students, in the rooms, and then we have a rotating gallery in the lobby from the school, from the students, 
that we sell for them, they keep 100% of the proceeds. So you think about the sort of mutual benefit. We've given them exposure, we've given them a source of revenue that they didn't have before, and we now have art that is of the community, from the community, helps the community, that shows our commitment to the community. Sure, I could have gone to some gallery and bought a bunch of art, but that would not be intentional or for a purpose. This is a perfect example. Not easily accomplishable every time, but in that case, it worked beautifully. How are you finding these sorts of people? Because that is one gorgeous example, but there are so many punctuation points at every property, and that's just one example at the New Orleans property. Look, truth be told, over the last 10 years, given where we have been in the cycle with the tremendous amount of growth, you look at our growth and it's been very tempered, and it's, it's, it's because of that, because this is all authentic, takes time. Uh, you know, the tailor who hand makes suits can only make so many suits a day. The minute he creates a template, and hands it off to some factory to make it, well, that's not authentic anymore. So it's, it's detrimental in a way to the rate of growth. Ultimately, back to what I said, and I will say every second for every question, start with the right people. We've assembled a great team. So now we divide and conquer, and we have enough, enough trust among the team that they'll go and accomplish those goals. So we go into the markets, and we really go spend the time. It, you have to spend the time. If you want to go cookie cutter, pick one thing and roll it out again and again and again, sure, you can do that. If you really want this handcrafted work, you have to find the time, make the time. And, and, and there's scalability to it. You can't go hire 500 people because you can't in- engage and entertain and be part of the process with 500 people. So it kind of balances out the growth. And we're happy doing one deal a year, one deal every five years, three deals a year, but we're capped and you know by choice again. I guess the same goes for not just finding the partners at once the property is um, coming to fruition, but also the right partners to create the property, whether it's an ownership group or when you're acting in a management capacity. Equally as important, again, if you don't see the world the same way, life's too short, you're going to be arguing about everything. Uh, Building the right product for the right market, obviously all starts there. Uh, There's no reason to go do a five-star hotel in a sort of a hipster market that is not going to embrace it or a branded hotel. It's about creating the right place for the right town, for the right demand. We sort of say, we go into a market and we say, what's missing in this market? What niche is missing? And that's really where we say, can we play, can we fill that gap? Because ultimately, I don't want yet another of the same. Trying to find a niche creates demand, specific demand for that. So yeah, uh, finding partners, whether they're financial or in, really vendors, designers, architects, it's about chemistry. Life's too short. There's way too many qualified people out there. If we're not, gonna, gonna, if we're not going to get along, it's just not worth it. This week, we heard the news of Hyatt acquiring Two Roads, which of course, Two Roads was a a merger from a few years ago of two other brands. But would you indulge us in some musings about what that means and what that says about the state of independent or boutique properties? Oh boy, we'll need another couple of hours for this one. So uh, you think about the owner who signed up with Joie de Vie, whatever it was, seven, eight years ago, who probably had dinner with Chip Conley, went out to drink with Chip Conley, went to Chip Conley you know, with his family to see Chip Conley. It was all about Chip. So that guy now, that owner, has to understand how this merger with Commune works, and Chip is gone. So he got over that, he or she. Then they have to get over now merging with Destination. Okay, so now they have to get their arms around that. Well, now they're part of Hyatt. 
So think about that person's psyche and what they're thinking. So sure, people will say this will bring positivity and it'll connect them to the Hyatt machine and they can earn rewards and all of that. But at the end of the day, that owner signed up with Chip because of Chip or signed up with Kimpton because of Nikki or because of whomever they did business with Kimpton with. And all of a sudden, they're now with IHG. So at the end of the day, I think... Every look, everyone will, will will have a place in the market. We need we need all kinds of products. But I think what this merger tells you is that the brands are realizing that no matter how many soft brands they dream up and come up with, and there's a gazillion, I can't keep track of them anymore. And I'm in the business for those poor consumers that try to parse what one means and what the other is. It shows that they're realizing they can't do it, and the only way they can keep us independence from eating their lunch is to keep doing mergers and acquisitions and buying more and more of those. So ultimately, there'll be big, big, big players. And again, there's room for those. But at the end of the day, if you really want that, again, overused word, handcrafted, truly independent experience, your choices are getting limited. Music to our ears because it opens that space up more for us. Kimpton was the 800-pound gorilla in that place, Joie and they all keep getting sucked out of that place. SLS, Accor, all these mad MNAs. So on one hand, it might be good for some. It might be bad for others. We just, I just think consumers are going to have less and less of those really unique experiences. So as Provenance keeps marching on to its independent beat, how many hotels are you at for this year, having recently opened? And we have 14 this year. Uh, we have a couple of more openings coming. We've opened four this year. Uh, slept very little this year. I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> when I'm dead, I tell people. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's sort of, again, honestly, I, I, I wish I could tell you this was a strategic plan. It kind of, they, the deals come and if the deal is the right deal, we'll jump on it. And if it's not, we'll walk away from it. So 14 this year and there is no mandate. We don't have to be 25 by next year. We don't, again, we, we want to do good work that we enjoy that we think makes a difference. And how many upcoming in the pipeline? There's a lot in the pipeline in different uh uh, stages of the development process. We seem to have a lot of ground up coming up and really interesting, exciting mar- markets. We're loving the secondaries that we think have been uh, ignored by the big boys because everybody's focusing on you know New York and LA and Miami and Chicago. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, we have a project there. We love that town. We think that's a great opportunity to do something unique there. Milwaukee, a lot of the secondaries we're starting to focus more on. Portland being a secondary, a different kind of secondary. We have yet one more there, our sixth in that market this year. Uh, so we're focusing a lot more on those secondaries and in the otherwise neglected markets that we think deserve just as good an offering as New York does or LA does. You know, different demand generators, but certainly can handle one, two, three boutique hotels. So the ones that have recently opened, you have Laura, you have Villa Royale in Palm Springs, which just opened last week. You have Revolution coming up in the beginning of December. We have Woodlark also. What markets are you looking to go into in the future that are getting you excited generally to travel to? Uh, I'm looking at Atlanta, has lots of hotels, but really not a lot of those sort of independent feeling hotels. A lot of those, I'll say, big metropolitans that have been historically dominated by the brands that really, again, need, deserve, want those independent offerings. So Atlanta is one we're looking at. Uh, We're starting to look a little bit in the southeast, the Charleston, Charlotte, Savannah. Those are fantastic cities with great offerings already. We're definitely looking in New England. Uh, One is not enough in Boston. I definitely want more. Uh, New York, clearly always on top of the list, but we're not willing to pay uh, for the price of admission, where you know the market will come around eventually, and there'll be some buying opportunity. And then from there, you know, I'm I'm thinking about. 
Providence and I'm thinking about Nashua and I'm thinking about, again, Milwaukee and Madison and Indianapolis and Des Moines and Oklahoma City. There's some amazing destinations uh, across the land. Southern California is of great interest. We have Palm Springs and we have a project on the beach in California in Hermosa Beach that uh, hopefully we'll see open during my lifetime as we deal with the People's Republic of California entitlement process. That's really exciting for us. But yeah, we don't have any, again, no mandate. So we don't have to be in the top 10, top 15, top 25. We sort of follow, again, for the lack of a better term, the creative class, those markets that have a thriving creative class that appreciate that sort of independent offering. They're not just looking for their bribe from the point. They're truly looking for an experience and they'll go out of their way to find that experience. It's interesting because we as consumers manage to convince ourselves to go off the beaten path into areas that are, you know, shady, sketchy to go find a great restaurant. We haven't gotten there yet on hotels, but we think that's another really interesting opportunity is sort of the B minus locations that otherwise are viewed as a B minus C plus locations that have a lot of interesting things happening in the neighborhood to kind of bring a hotel offering that way as consumers learn more and more to sort of seek those opportunities as opposed to going to the tried and true on main and main. Do you feel like consumers or travelers or people are ready to go off the beaten path for hotels or... Is this sort of a chicken and an egg? I think it, it's a little bit of both. I mean, back to my example of New York, I, I will go wherever. You know, I'm thinking about Long Island City. I'm thinking about Queens. I'm thinking about places where there are some really interesting offerings. But I'm probably unique in that way, as opposed to a tourist who, who will not even know what a Long Island City is, and they want to just be where, where they know in Manhattan. I think it'll take a little bit of time. I think F&B could be sort of the chicken and the egg could solve that problem because you put a destination F&B at a hotel in sort of a C plus location and people will come. The question is, will someone stay there? And, you know, given the uh, shared ride, uh, ride share programs that we have, it's easy now to get off the beaten path. You don't have to worry about where you are, where you go. So I think it'll take a little bit more time. You're seeing it in high barrier to entry markets like in New York, because there's only so much real estate in New York. So people are going out. San Francisco, same thing, going into the mission. And we're starting to see it in Portland, on the east side of Portland, which typically you wouldn't have thought of as a hotel location. It's happening more and more. One last question for you. You mentioned food and beverage being important. How important is that to the story you're telling with Provenance Hotels? And specifically, we had a Instagram follower ask the question of, when does Ballard open? That was from Doug Adams. Um, Doug, we'll get to him in a minute. Um, F and B, you think about hotel for a minute. Uh, and, and, and F and B in the eighties in hotel restaurants in the eighties in hotels were sort of glamorous. You put on a tuxedo, you went to the Ritz Carlton, you had a 10 course meal and danced the night away. Nineties and two thousands hotel food became literally hospital food. Check the box. Do you have a restaurant? Yes. Typically it would have the prerequisite Denver omelet on the menu and breakfast and the burger at night and the chicken sandwich at room service. And it literally became hospital food. And in the last decade, the importance of F&B has really risen to the top. And again, you think about a hotel without the restaurant, the bar, the energy they bring, this quote unquote social spaces in the lobby that everybody's finally caught on to without it you have a very sterile stack of rooms where people come in, go to the elevator like robots, go to their room, sleep, get up, come back down and leave. Food and beverage is what creates the soul. It's what creates the energy. So it's become hugely, hugely important. And it's become now a destination again. I mean, clearly, I don't know of anyone who says, honey, let's go out to dinner tonight. Where do you want to go? Let's go to the Marriott. 
never going to happen. But as you're seeing more and more of those independent hotels bring in the, whether it's a star chef or the up and coming rock star that nobody knows about yet, as we've done in many cases, or finding that amazing operator in town and bringing them in, it's become really, really important. So Mr. Doug Adams, our beloved chef who's opening Bullard Hotel Woodlark, who's been patiently waiting for two years, top chef, by the way. Uh, it's opening in another month and we can't wait. We're super excited about it and he's going to crush it there. He's, he's, he's just a beloved uh, member of our family and has been hanging around for two years waiting for it patiently. So we can't wait for it too, Doug. You have so many exciting things going on, but I think we're about out of time for today. So thank you for coming in and talking with us a little bit about the industry. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Priority Status. I hope you're left inspired to see what Providence Hotels is up to for yourself. As always, travel elevated.